bone and sickle. Bleeding saints and forest witches, the past unburied, the books unsealed, the old celebration returning. Hello, and welcome to my study. Please come in and have a seat. All the books surrounding you are those used as sources for our show, and I'll be sharing with you tonight some interesting selections from one of these volumes, assisted, as always, by my dutiful housekeeper and co-host, Mrs. Carswell. Hello. Well, we have had an eventful week, some unexpected animal encounters. The poor possum. Yes, but Thurs the owl. Thursday morning we found a possum in the yard. The poor thing was bleeding from his nose and gasping. It seemed like he'd gotten in a fight with something and lost. Mr. Ridenauer managed to nudge him into a box with a stick. I wouldn't normally have tried that, but it seemed like he didn't have much fight left in him. We took him down to the Humane Society. I thought they would just euthanize him, but we did check on him the next day, and they said they thought he'd recovered. Well, uh, that's nice, but not the real story. They told you that owl wasn't up for adoption. No, they just weren't sure about it. That person wasn't the boss. In fact, I have an appointment with her next week. You know, I did some research and called the lawyer, and there are no state laws against owning an owl unless it's a native species. I can tell from my phone photos that this is an Eurasian eagle owl. So, not native, it must have been someone's pet that escaped, which also explains why it was so comfortable with humans. Oh. Uh, but you liked the owl. Well, it was certainly interesting and huge. It certainly had a presence. Yes. A, a little frightening, really. Those eyes. Yes. But uh, here's the thing. Remember that Renfair guy that came to the house for advice on medieval stagecraft? Uh, Anders? I only know you couldn't stop making jokes about his leather kilt once he left. Yes, him. Well, it turns out he's also a licensed falconer. I talked to him yesterday and he thinks that I'm a shoo-in to take that owl home. It can't go back out into the wild since it's been domesticated. They can't keep it. And the only shelter it could go to is all booked up. And, and falcons and owls are both raptors, so uh, Anders can get me set up. Well, what would that mean? Are, are you supposed to get a giant cage uh, or... No, too small. The solarium. The old greenhouse you were going to tear down. Yes, the solarium. I'll just have Mr. Rossi's crew come out and knock out the last broken and cover it over with mesh, it'd be perfect. Okay. Well, you don't seem very excited for me. You know, this thing is almost like it's meant to be with the, the, the possum and Anders and the solarium and uh, everything. No, it, I, I am happy for you. I just don't want you to get your hopes up too much. Anders says he'll come out to the Humane Society with me as a sort of a, a sponsor. It's not that I don't understand your excitement. I know from my bees what it can be like to connect with another species. If it's like well, that, Well, good. I... You'll have to move your uh, beekeeping stuff out of the solarium. Mr. Rossi's crew is coming Monday. 
I guess I just never thought about keeping an owl. What would you even feed it? Oh, well, you don't really have to worry about that. I, no. Episode 104, A Remarkable Circumstance. I am your host, Al Reidenauer, and this show, Bone and Sickle, examines the intertwining of horror and folklore in a historical context. I started the show as a way to further explore this area of intersection after writing my book, The Krampus and the Old Dark Christmas, and I'm currently working on a related volume. Bone and Sickle only exists thanks to the generosity of our Patreon donors who receive monthly rewards, including not one, but two bonus episodes, and I'll have more on all that at the end of our show. For tonight's show, I'll be reading again from a book published in London in 1825, one entitled The Terrific Register, or Records of Crimes, Judgments, Providences, and Calamities. I hope you enjoy the selections. So, uh, let's get started. This is a just sort of two-in-one. A Pair of Portraits. Mrs. Celestina Collins was a widow aged 70 who lately died at her house in Canterbury. Although possessing a moderate income, her habits of life were singularly disgusting. Her disposition and peculiarities so eccentric that she may be truly said to have verified the old adage de gustibus nil disputandum, that is, there is no disputing about tastes. During many years, her constant companions were from 16 to 20 fowls whose orgure defiled as well her bed and every article of furniture, as well as the plate out of which she ate. A favorite cock, whose age might be calculated from his spurs being three inches long, and an equally favored rat were, for a length of time, constant attendants at her table. Her predilections for vermin prevailed so much that at her death a nest of mice was found in her bed. The house where she resided, besides the rooms in which she constantly lived and slept, contained two others that had not been permitted to be opened for many years. Presumably still weren't at the time of this writing. Uh, the second of the two portraits is Booth. Aged about 43, in the parish of Prees in the county of Salop, a very singular character of the name of Booth happened to live. He was by trade a cobbler, had existed, for he could hardly be said to have lived, having deprived himself of common necessaries, upward of 20 years, in a miserable hut, the roof of which had fallen in some time ago. He was about six feet two or three inches high, very pale and meager, 
his voice weak and feminine and had no beard either on his lip or chin. In an old box in his possession, there were found upwards of 30 love letters and valentines which he had received from different females in the neighborhood, and also money and bonds to the amount of nearly 500 pounds. The former, no doubt, were the effects of sport among the fair sex, to whom such characters appear, beyond measure, ridiculous. That's quite opinionated. Uh, now, let's see. Dreadful Superstition At Nas, a town in Lower Styria, in the jurisdiction of Gleichenberg, one Sharon, a widower, had a daughter arrived to years of maturity, and the young woman, transported to the most extravagant degree of superstition and fanaticism, imagined that she could have no hopes of salvation unless she purified herself by fire. She communicated her intention to her father, who, being equally superstitious, approved of her design and even promised to assist her in carrying it into execution. All Saints' Day was the time appointed for carrying this abominable project into effect. On the preceding evening, the girl herself placed wood in the oven. When divine service began next day, the miserable self-devoted victim set fire to the fuel, and when the oven was red-hot, with the assistance of her father, she entered the fiery apartment, the door of which the father closed, and, having stopped up the vacancies with clay tempered with water, placed a crucifix before the oven, and then went out of the house with every appearance of tranquility and satisfaction, having told some persons whom he met that his daughter was doing penance in the heated oven. They hastened to her assistance, but before their arrival, the body was entirely consumed. The father was apprehended and conducted to Gleichenberg, where he has undergone an examination. That's very pious. Uh, our next one is a curiosity from nature. Singular animal flower found. The inhabitants of St. Lucia have discovered an animal flower in a cavern of that isle near the large lagoon from 12 to 15 feet deep, the water of which is very brackish, and the bottom composed of rocks, from whence at all times proceed certain substances which present at first sight beautiful flowers of a bright shining color and pretty nearly resembling our marigolds, only that their tint is more lively. These uh, seeming flowers on the approach of a hand or instrument retire like a snail out of sight. On examining this substance closely, there appears in the middle of the disc four brown filaments resembling spider's legs, which move round the yellow petals with a brisk intent to seize their prey. And the yellow petals immediately close to shut up that prey, that it cannot escape. Under this appearance of a flower is a brown stalk of the bigness of a raven's quill, and which appears to be the body of some animal. It is probable that this is a strange animal that lives on the spawn of fish and the small insects which the sea throws up into the lagoon. Uh, 
Okay. The dead alive. Some hypochondriacs have fancied themselves miserably afflicted in one way and some in another. Some have insisted that they were teapots and some that they were town clocks. One that he was extremely ill and another that he was actually dying. But perhaps none of this blue devil class ever matched in extravagance a patient of the late Dr. Stevenson of Baltimore. The hypochondriac, after ringing the change of every mad conceit that ever tormented a crazy brain, would have it at last that he was dead, actually dead. Dr. Stevenson, having been sent for one morning in great haste by the wife of his patient, hastened to his bedside where he found him stretched out at full length, his hands across his breast, his toes in contact, his eyes and mouth closely shut, and his look uh, cadaverous. "'Well, sir, how do you do? How do you do this morning?' asked Dr. Stevenson in a jocular way, approaching his bed. "'How do I do?' replied the hypochondriac faintly. "'A pretty question to ask a dead man.' "'Dead?' replied the doctor. "'Yes, sir, quite dead. I died last night about twelve o'clock.' Dr. Stevenson, putting his hand gently on the forehead of the hypochondriac, as if to ascertain whether it was cold, and also feeling his pulse, exclaimed in a doleful note, Yes, the poor man is dead enough, it is all over with him, and now the sooner he can be buried, the better. Then, stepping up to his wife and whispering to her not to be frightened at the measures he was about to take, he called to the servant, My boy, your master is dead, and the sooner he can be put in the ground, the better. Run to the carpenter in town, for I know he always keeps New England coffins by him ready-made, and bring him a coffin of the largest size, for your master makes a stout corpse, and having died last night and the weather being warm, he will not keep long. Away went the servant and soon returned with a proper coffin. The wife and family, having got their lessons from the doctor, gathered round him and howled not a little while they were putting the body in the coffin. Presently, the pallbearers, who were quickly provided and let into the secret, started with the hypochondriac for the churchyard. They had not gone far before they were met by one of the townspeople, who, having been properly drilled by Stevenson, cried out, "'Ah, doctor, what poor soul have you got there?' Poor Mr. B, sighed the doctor, left us last night. Great pity he had not left us twenty years ago, replied the other. He was a bad man. Presently another of the townsmen met them with the same question. And what poor soul have you got there, doctor? Poor Mr. B, answered the doctor again, is dead. Ah, indeed, said the other, and so he is gone to meet his deserts at last. "'Oh, villain!' exclaimed the man in the coffin. Soon after this, while the pallbearers were resting themselves near the churchyard, another stepped up with the old question. "'What poor soul have you there, doctor?' "'Poor Mr. B,' he replied, "'is gone.' "'Yes, and to the bottomless pit,' said the other, "'for if he is not gone there, I see not what use there is for such a place.' Here, the dead man, bursting off the lid of the coffin, which had been purposely left loose, leaped out, exclaiming, You villain, I am gone to the bottomless pit, am I? Well, I have come back again to pay back such ungrateful rascals as you. 
A chase was immediately commenced by the dead man after the living, to the petrifying consternation of many of the spectators, at the sight of a corpse and all the horrors of the winding sheet running through the streets. After having exercised himself into a copious perspiration by the fantastic race, the hypochondriac was brought home by Dr. Stevenson, freed from all his complaints, and by strengthening food, generous wine, cheerful company, and moderate exercise, was soon restored to perfect health. Well, that's good news. That's good. And uh, uh, this next one is a bit distasteful, just a warning. Cat Eaters. Some years ago, for a wager of 50 pounds, a fellow who lived near the race course of Kildare in Ireland devoured five fox cubs and literally began eating each while alive. It is, however, to be observed that the devourer was a natural fool, having been born deaf, dumb, and without a palate. About 13 years ago, a shepherd at Beverly in Yorkshire, for a bet of five pounds, was to devour a living cat. The one produced was a large black tomcat, which had not been fed for the purpose, but was chosen as the largest in the neighborhood. The day appointed was the fair day at Beverly. The parties met. The man produced was a raw-boned fellow, about 40. The cat was then given to him, on which he took hold of its forelegs with one hand, and closing its mouth with the other, he killed it by biting its head to pieces immediately, and in less than a quarter of an hour, devoured every part of the cat, tails, legs, claws, bones, and everything. The man who laid the wager gave the fellow two guineas for doing it, and the shepherd appeared perfectly satisfied with the reward. After he had done with it, he walked about the fair the whole afternoon and appeared neither sick nor sorry. He took no emetic, nor had this brutal repast any effect upon him, whatever. Next one. Remarkable Circumstance In the month of September 1824, the body of a young woman dressed in black silk with a watch, a ring, and a small sum of money was found floating near Spithead by a lieutenant of the guard and conveyed to ride in the Isle of Wight. As no person owned it, a parish officer who was also an undertaker took upon himself to inter the body for the property that was attached to it, which was accordingly performed. One evening, about a fortnight after the event, a poor man and woman were seen to come into the village, and on application to the undertaker for a view of the property which belonged to the unfortunate drowned person, they declared it had been their daughter who was overset in a boat as she was going to Spithead to see her husband. They also wished to pay whatever expenses the undertaker had been at, and to receive the trinkets, etc., which had so lately been the property of one so dear to them. But this the undertaker would by no means consent to. They repaired, therefore, to the churchyard, where the woman, having prostrated herself on the grave of the deceased, continued some time in silent meditation or prayer, then, crying, she sorrowfully departed with her husband." 
The curiosity of the inhabitants of Ryde, excited by the first appearance and behavior of this couple, was changed into wonder when, returning in less than three weeks, they accused the undertaker of having buried their daughter without a shroud, saying she had appeared in a dream, complaining of the mercenary and sacrilegious undertaker and lamenting the indignity which would not let her spirit rest. The undertaker stoutly denied the charge, but the woman, having secretly purchased a shroud, trying it on herself at Upper Ride, was watched by the cellar and followed about twelve o'clock at night into the churchyard. After lying a short time in the grave, she began to remove the earth with her hands, and, incredible as it may seem, by two o'clock had uncovered the coffin, which, with much difficulty and the assistance of her husband, was lifted out of the grave. On opening it, the stench was almost intolerable and stopped the operation for some time, but after taking a pinch of snuff, she gently raised the head of the deceased, taking from the back of it and the bottom of the coffin, not a shroud, but a dirty piece of flannel with part of the hair sticking to it, and which the writer of this account saw lying on the head so lately as the middle of the present year. Clothing the body with this shroud, everything was carefully replaced, and on a second application, the undertaker, overwhelmed with shame, restored the property. The woman, whose fingers were actually worn to the bone with the operation, retired with her husband and has never been heard of since. So, uh, all's well that ends well. And now, a bit of poetry as we close our show with Carswell's Corner. Tonight, we'll continue with another short, very short, work by Harry Graham, the sardonic British poet known particularly for his collection Ruthless Rhymes for Heartless Homes, published in 1898. This one's entitled... Misfortunes never come singly. Making toast at the fireside, Nurse fell in the grate and died. And what makes it ten times worse, All the toast was burned with Nurse. I hope everyone's been enjoying our show and that you might have the opportunity to leave a review if you do. Uh, Apple Podcasts is an important one, but anywhere you can leave a review. As a promise at the top of the show, I'd like to provide a bit more on the rewards of joining Bone and Sickle via Patreon. Uh, beyond, of course, the uh, profound sense of contentment that comes from doing your part. A monthly pledge of $2 provides you access to hundreds of blog posts spanning the show's run. That is, uh, visuals I can't share via the podcast, obviously, and film clips and other tidbits from history and folklore. Donating a mere $4 or more monthly brings you not one, but two extra short episodes, including a uh, special Mrs. Carswell episode. 
Other rewards and other tiers include downloads of the show soundscapes heard under the narration, the show scripts, my Krampus book, various t-shirt and mug options, the Boninsickle candle, and unique hand-packed mystery kits. Boninsickle is written and produced by me, Al Reidenauer. This is Carswell is played by Sarah Chavez, whose projects and writing related to death and culture you can track at sarah-chavez.com. Thanks so much for listening.